keep Rayman Digital on the air by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to continue to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging one to ten dollars a month. Go to patreon.com slash Digital to pledge. <laughs> to Star Wars from the Back to Tank. This is the Bad Batch edition, and I am Michael, your host. And today we are here to break down and discuss the season finale, the very first season finale for Star Wars, the Bad Batch, episode 16, titled Camino Lost. And I'm in the studio with Lauren and David. Hello. Hello there. Hello. All right. So this episode was directed by Saul Reese and written by the showrunner Jennifer Corbett. We are at the end. We have made it now that we've made our way through the entire first season. There's a few things that we can definitively state that I've been holding off on because I don't like to be overly excited and then be disappointed at the end. I will say Jennifer Corbett is a good showrunner with an eye for detail She's different than any other writers that we've had on Star Wars, even different than Baloney himself. She gave us nuanced character development in a single season that we've not seen before in any other Star Wars show. Every episode working seamlessly into the next with no hiccups in character development. Uh, the second thing we can say, we're going down a very specific path in this series that is designed to, to eventually connect to big elements in Star Wars, especially after that ending with yeah. Nala say, uh, we will get into this in a minute as it comes with some serious implications. I'm ultimately extremely happy with the season as a whole and the finale and before we get into all the ins and outs, I'd like to get both of your feelings on the finale. So let's start with you, Lauren. Give me your thoughts. I have mixed feelings. I'm not really? going to lie. I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't feel super negatively about it. I just feel like, um, I think I'm used to kind of a bigger bang, if you will, for a season finale. However, it gave me a lot of what I wanted as far as wrapping up character arcs with each other, um, specifically with, um, with Crosshair and watching Omega really, really show us, you know, once and for all, really what she's about. And that's, you know, no man left behind. Like, we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to find a way out of this. Like, she's... She's in it to win it. She's ready to to make sure everybody gets out of there. Um, and then, of course, there's like the the bigger implications in this episode, which I won't get into because I know we're going to discuss it. But, you know, there's a couple of things that you're just like, oh, man, that's big. Not to mention just things like watching Camino burn. Yeah. Um. Th there's a lot of good. There's a lot of like. Heavy stuff and kind of like deep like not deep philosophically or anything but like deep for star wars lore and for star wars fans like there's some there's some gut punches in there and stuff yeah. too so it's it was overall a really good episode um i think my only hesitance about it is that it just didn't necessarily feel like a season finale to me okay and that's fair. That's what I have been seeing a lot on social media. There seems to be a lot of people saying that, hey, you know, we just didn't get the the zingers that we like, the big yeah. conclusion, um, whereas this was more 
it was more small scale, which is what I had said during our last discussion. It's more nuanced. Yeah, and that doesn't mean it's bad by any means. It's just, you know, sometimes we have to retrain ourselves to think outside of what um, what we're trained to expect from a certain episode in a series. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I feel like many of us Star Wars fans have grown accustomed to these giant finales and we have to start over in shows and we're in the first season i feel like jennifer corbett is going to slowly work herself to those giant finales Uh, and in this particular finale she chose to go the smaller route and i guess only time will tell whether or not that was a good call we'll see right dave go ahead um my thoughts on this i after viewing the the entire finale I have to say that this entire season of Bad Batch is my favorite Star Wars, not just series, but we're talking, you know, best Star Wars story we've gotten. And I want to actually preface that, hey, I like Mandalorian. It's fine. You know, it has its great moments. It has its zingers. That sounds like someone who's breaking up with you. You know what? I, uh, you have your moments. Uh, you have but, your moments. Uh, it's just not working. But, like, I appreciate the fact that I got finally a series that has, it tells one single narrative without deviating and having to, uh, you know, rise to fan expectations of, hey, we want this guy to show up. We want this to show up. Stick to your story. Give me a story. Make me care about the characters that you you are involved with in the story. And after I viewed the finale, I actually took a step back in a retrospective thought about this. Bad Batch is the only one that I can think of that we have original characters and we got an entire season that stuck to one single narrative. They weren't trying to focus. They on weren't trying to focus things, on the yeah. flash. If you look at all the other series, you know, all the stuff that the fans have been arguing about, you know, like the new movies, some things from Mandalorian, it's always basically, it's just flashy. I would agree right. with you. It feels like a lot of the showrunners and directors, even when they say they're not, they're trying to take they're the trying fans to into account. The fans. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like Corbett's doing that. It feels like she has a very specific story she wants to tell. Yeah, yeah. And that's what this really feels like. I feel like I've got probably the most substantial story that I've ever gotten in Star Wars since its big since its new era started. And I agree with you. Jennifer Corbett is proving her chops when it comes to becoming a showrunner and actually kind of becoming part of that, that showrunning tree with Filoni and everybody and kind of proving that she's the opposite of Justin Rich. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but like when it comes to this story, it's amazing to me that we started with these characters that started off as a throwaway idea of George Lucas and Filoni. And at the end of the entire series, all the all the bad batch suddenly are i look at them as all individual characters yeah that w- we all can gravitate towards even crosshair even the like they could have easily just turned crosshair villain but instead they gave us the one of the, the most i uh last episode you called him the most dynamic character we've ever gotten since kylo ren and i'm like going I agree with you now, 100%, especially after this finale. Yeah, and it goes it goes even deeper than that. It took me... I love watching shows, as long as it's done the right way, that I don't know what they're really doing until the end. Till the end. For example, Omega is the central character. She is the star of the show. Yes. And there's a few things we'll get into in a second to... To add to that, because there's much more than just simply, hey, she's the star of the show. How did you not know? I'm like, well, it's more than just that. So this will be an interesting discussion because to have two people, well, I should say Lauren has a very different view on on what she expected from a finale. So hopefully this doesn't come off as a rebuttal, uh, Lauren, to you, the entire discussion, because the show notes are designed around my perspective. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I mean. I, I certainly won't take offense to anything either because I really liked this episode. I, I thought it was a really good episode. I thought it was a solid wrap up. Um, like I said, I think 
I have to remind myself that it doesn't need to be a big explosion or something like that, you know? Like, it doesn't need to be this this big bang at the end of the season for it to be a solid ending, because it was a good ending. Yeah, and, and just like what Lauren said, though, is kind of like, uh, earlier on, is like, I think a lot of Star Wars fandom has been trained to basically say, it's the... It's the ending of the story it's the season finale so you have to have this big gigantic blow off because you know we saw that with mandalorian i mean the luke skywalker thing just blew up and basically everyone now thinks hey we need that surprise i i get it moment i get it and i don't fault the fans that may think that this is a little lackluster because i get it the star wars writers have done it to themselves um it's they I mean, look at Rogue One. You know, people always point to Rogue One as being one of the better Star Wars installments of this new era. But the only reason why they say that is because the way it ended. Yes. Like, if you removed Vader from that ending, people would be like, yeah, it's okay. It's fun. That's great. But it's that last, you know, 90 seconds where Vader's slaying everyone that now (laughs) sends everyone through the roof. And don't get me wrong. I am one of those fans. I mean, to this day, I I have that YouTube video saved of him just killing people. And I watch it at least once a week and I get excited all (laughs) over again. So I understand that. But we also have to realize that sometimes we got to bring a show, a new show back down to zero. You can't always be at 11 the entire time. Now, based on what Corbett has done with this season it does look like we're going to build up that momentum and if we don't get to 11 by season three or season four then i will go back retrospectively and say okay we have some problems here but but a show in its first season starting back at zero and slowly building into that excitement i feel like that's appropriate for a show and i i would feel like it's overly contrived if we go from you know zero to 13 in a season (laughs) the season you got to give us something to to look forward to. I felt like that was, I don't want to say that was a problem in Rebels, but that was one of the issues with Rebels. I felt like they went with Vader from the get-go and the Inquisitors. And then what do we do now? Thrawn? Okay, what do we do now? Thrawn again? Like it worked, but it also that's dangerous. You went Vader your very first season. Yes. That, I remember we talked about that in our discussion. Like, where the fuck do you go from here? Yeah, especially, you know, you have to deal with the fact you can't make those characters look weak at all. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. And honestly, I am glad that Corbett and Filoni chose to stay away from those bigger names for the most part this season. Because, again, let's work there. Let's work towards justifying those bigger characters appearances yeah and it, and in the long in the long run too it helped build up new characters so that we can actually add to the add to the mythos of the universe i mean at this point who doesn't think that basically uh oh i just blanked on his name but that opening sequence where we saw the admiral or yeah it's admiral, rampart yeah. rampart mm-hmm Come on. Rampart as the villain was awesome. It was good. We need some new faces. We need some new faces. We don't want to make the same mistakes that the Mandalorian made. And I know every time I say this, I get some hate from someone. Like I enjoyed the Mandalorian for what it was, but it's very inconsistent in style, tone. Uh, it goes from zero to 20, and then it stays at two or three for like four episodes. And you're like, what the fuck's happening? Why am I watching this show? I'm actually kind of embarrassed for watching how silly this is it's it's not good and then suddenly it goes to like you know 15 and honestly in my opinion they made a huge mistake and again this is where i have that internal battle between star wars nerd and critic uh as a star wars nerd the luke scene was awesome but as a critic i'm like fuck you guys brought luke in in now the second season yes like, really this is what we're doing and that and honestly if you Think about it in hindsight. That Luke scene is what saved season two. For for some people, yes. Yeah, I would agree. All right. So Corbett, sticking with this theme here, Corbett chose quality and nuance over obvious connections and grand spectacle. There was spectacle for sure. The destruction of the Kaminoan cloning facility and the subsequent escape. But as I said last episode, Corbett is choosing to take those smaller strokes painting in the detail and in this case character development and what she's done with Omega 
particularly is very unique. She's almost like so what they've done with it. They sh- they've almost turned Omega into the big sister of the Bad Batch. Yeah. At the beginning of the season, it seemed like she was a bit of a fangirl. But through the course of the season, we realize that she doesn't just look up to them because she wants to be one of them. She doesn't even look up to them. She cares about them. Yes. She is, in a sense, their older sister, and she's watched over them. She watched them grow and eventually be born. Then she watched as they went into the world to fight. And by the end of the season, you realize that it's less about being a fan of the Bad Batch and more about them as individuals, as people caring about what happens to them. Yeah, especially since Omega keeps throwing the terms. She doesn't refer to them as like soldiers. She refers to them as brothers. Yeah, they're the brothers. And it's not like brother like in Clone Wars where it's, you know, camaraderie. It's no, it's I look. At them as my brothers. As my brothers. They're yeah, no, like we, my family. We we were all we were all the ones that were in these tubes together in this like private lab. We are the ones that were experimented on extra. We are all the different ones. You are my brothers. Like all of the rest of them, yeah, we're family technically, but you're my brothers. I I was here, you know, I saw all of you being basically modified and we all went through the same thing with Nala say. That's why I love that scene that tech is the one who clarifies everything and basically says, technically she's older than us. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. And to me, that kind of confirmed what Corbett was trying to say that it's not about, you know, looking up to them as it was, you know, alluded to, or at least they were trying to paint that picture at the beginning and slowly get us to, realize that no it's more of a more of an older sister taking care of her brothers and to drive home this point corbett gives us that moment where yes she has the immediate attachment to the bad batch you know clone force 99 but her heart goes much further than that as well i mean corbett gives us that moment in the episode where we see her mourn the loss of her home and that sadness of watching the unborn clones perish yes. as it sinks into the water. That scene was very fucking powerful. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was actually going to ask you, are we there to assume in that scene that basically all those clones essentially were murdered? Yeah, I mean... Because I, they I were alive. It depends. You're bringing those, up all the, um, the hard-hitting questions. Those clones in those tubes are alive. We know that since Clone Wars that any of the clones that are in the tubes, it doesn't mean that they're not. I mean, technically it's a, technically it's abortion. So is abortion (laughs) murder? Um, Oh, now you're drawing into really deep, deep water. That's a question that we will not answer on a show like this. Like this. Yeah. But like, I was actually uh, wondering if you guys actually noticed that. Yeah. We, we were always in the last episode we were talking about, we need that moment for Rampart to show how villainous he is. You know, the kill the children. It's very callous. It is callous. Whether, Oh man, it does get into that area, doesn't it? You yeah. know, is abortion, you know, murder. Uh, because do you, are you supposed to feel sorry for unborn fetuses? I don't know. What, what are they trying to say? I don't think they're going that deep, honestly. I feel like it's more about the callousness of Rampart. The callousness of And Rampart. of course, Omega's heart. They were contrasting the two. You know, one person is is just an awful human being that doesn't care about any type of life. Whatever your view is. Whatever your view is. And Omega here is watching the death of, of I guess, people that she could be related. I guess technically All these possibilities. To, you know, all the possibilities that there all these we clones go. That's, could that's, that's the right word of saying it. It's the death of, you know, until being on this ship with the Bad Batch, it's the death of the only home she's ever known. Exactly. The only life she's ever known. Um, you know, everything that she's learned and seen and gone through and everything that that was her life. She never left that lab before getting onto the ship with her brothers. So that was, I mean, just extra impactful for her. Yeah, I like I like what they've done with her this year. She is so pure and good of heart. She even risked her life to save her droid. Yeah. They were really trying to highlight 
that if, as if we didn't get the point throughout the season, they wanted to make sure we understood how different she is than all the other clones. And when you even compare her to the, what the, is Fett alpha or a beta? I don't remember. That is alpha. He's an alpha. That's right. He's the alpha. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the actor that plays him in the movie is a beta. Let's be honest. <laughs> so stupid. Yep. The alpha aspect. And when you compare it to the Omega aspect, they're very different. And oh, it, absolutely. it actually does get a little bit, or at least it could, depending on where they take the show, it could get into uh, areas of, you know, the, the uh, philosophical. Oh, yeah. Because why? Why? You know, what's it called? Nature over nurture? Nature over nurture. Like, yeah. wh- why did Alpha Fett become this way? And how did Omega, who is essentially taken from the exact same DNA, become so pure and good? It's It's part of the theme that I've been really enjoying that they've been always toying with throughout the entire season is the whole argument of nature versus nurture. It kind of is. Because, like, even, like, my favorite moment... And he essentially became one of my favorite characters is Tech. When Tech basically looks at Wrecker and looks at him and says, you cannot change his nature. And yeah. he looks at... He well, looks he's at, very looks logical. At, yeah, he looks at Crosshairs. Yeah. He's like, I understand Crosshair because it's his nature. That's who he is. And I'm like going, the whole theme of nature versus nurture has always been played with throughout the entire season. And it's been very impactful and in really great moments. Like that's partially why I think to your, to your point is like, if there is one character I would love to see in bad batch is fat because Boba is actually the, the is a clear comparison to Omega. Okay. So you mentioned not having fan service at the beginning and including someone like fat, is, would be fan service. It, no, I no, I don't think. I'm agreeing with you that it would be something that would make sense. See, see, there's a difference between fan service and then including characters that would make absolute sense to have in the show. Especially with the story they're telling, I feel like at this point that has to be involved in some point. Has to. You have to start exploring that uh, the differences between the two. Right. With a name like Omega, you know, and directly referencing the Alpha and Omega of the clones and and the ones that are different, um, I think you you have to at some point at least discuss Boba in this series more than just like, oh, yeah, Boba Fett, like he exists more than that. We need more because that they're, they're clearly doing a thing here. And it's clearly what we're talking about, a nature versus nurture situation. And what better way to delve into that topic than with clones? You know, you're working with the same DNA. Some of them are modified. And, you know, like, like you said with, you know, tech and crosshair and tech commenting on crosshair's nature. Yeah, he's always been severe and unyielding. That is his nature. And he was kind of designed to be that way. Yeah. Um, I was thinking so, about so, that during the show. Yeah. And like in that sense, obviously that's that's nature, you know? Um, and I think any softness to him, any moments of um, vulnerability, like him saving Omega, that's the nurture. Yeah. But like, so we get this beautiful subject to tackle with... With all of these people that, you know, when you think about it, oh, yeah, they would be all the same. But they're not. They're all these individual people. Mm-hmm. And and I think you're right. It's it's important for Boba to be in this show when they've made a direct contrast to him mm-hmm. specifically with Omega. That's not fan service. I yeah. think it's really, really needed. Well, especially yeah. since the way that they've introduced Boba Fett back, you get the sense that Boba is very... He's very heritage heavy. Like, I remember when he gets first reintroduced, he says, this armor is my father's. This is my, this is the proof I have yeah. that this belonged to my father. And it's like, at that time, I remember a lot of people were like going, that's kind of weird. Boba Fett really caring about like legacy it and is stuff like that. But then if you tie it into this, mm-hmm. it's very easy to actually start explaining Okay, this is what happened with the Alpha and the Omega. Yeah. You know, nurture versus nature. Why is Boba Fett actually really 
much closer to his Mandalorian heritage, probably because his father taught him that. Right. Well, and that actually <laughs> yeah. justifies if they end up going down this route, this is actually justify some of the problems I had with Bet's inclusion in the Mandalorian, because well, since when does he have honor yeah. that he's going to hang out with the Mando uh, until he finds Grogu? Like, why does he give a fuck? Like, I, I never understood what Boba Fett has always been painted as a cold blooded, heartless killer. Yeah. And everything. A scoundrel. Yes. He's not a good guy. I would even say he's an anti-hero. He's always been painted as a villain who murders people for money. Yeah. Jango Fett is a different story. Okay. I've always found Jango Fett far more interesting than Fett. Fett has always been very one dimensional. Now, if they are going to switch directions with Fett in the Mandalorian, I'm fine with that. There's definitely room to explain and make him more multidimensional. Oh, and easily. perhaps this is the beginning of that. You know, with the Bad Batch exploring, you know, nature versus nurture and, you know, the alpha and the omega element. So perhaps there is a strategy behind this. I, I don't want to say there there isn't a strategy or sound like I'm being cynical. Um, we do know Filoni is involved as executive producer of The Mandalorian. So yes. we could definitely get those connections for sure. Well, especially since, you know, even to get further back, and yes, main audiences are going to know this knowledge, but I mean, like, Filoni tackled the Boba Fett story in the beginning of Clone Wars and really tried to push the fact that at that time, Boba was this traumatized child yeah. that witnessed his father get beheaded. And basically, literally his only thought process at that point was to get revenge on Mace Windu. And that was the whole story of his in Clone Wars. Right. So that, that's not going to happen. Come on. Come yeah. On, and the, and, but, you know, it, I, I, you kind of get that sense that Filoni was going to yeah. continue the Boba Fett story to kind of maybe get to this point like he wanted, but he never was able to. Well, all the pieces are there. What's the, I, I forgot the name of my favorite bounty hunter because my brain's blanking. Uh, Baylart? No. Well, yes. The <laughs> I was about to say, yes. uh, are no, you kidding I'm me? talking about the... Uh, Lee Van Cleef inspiration. Cad Bane. Cad Bane. I mean, look, look at this season. We have Cad Bane. We have Ming-Na Ming Wah's character. I forgot her character's name as well uh, from Mandalorian. Fennec Shand. Fennec Shand. We have the Alpha and the Omega aspect. It does seem like they are bringing all these connections together. Because in Clone Wars, if you remember, Cad Bane was directly connected to Fett. To Fett. <laughs> to Fett's yeah. a, a, Becoming a bounty hunter. In fact, there was a scene that never made it into the final scene that we had discussed on one of our episodes, Dave, that uh, shows that Cad Bane's the one who gave Fett the dent in the helmet, that fa that famous uh, dent. It never made it into the final episode for or the final season of Clone Wars for whatever reason. But we do have that connection, and there's a story to be told there still between Cad Bane. And as we know, Filoni never forgets his stories he just waits and he's patient and eventually he finds patient. a way to bring him back in yep so i have a feeling season two will be delving in to that aspect I, I and i think the reason why they didn't go there yet is because to be perfectly honest mandalorian is is a bigger show a much bigger show and as executive producer of both i'm sure feloni is giving first dibs to the, the mandalorian so they don't run the risk of contradicting and as we know, Filoni waits for people to fuck up, and he's okay. I'm going to fix it now, guys. Okay, is, is it my is it my turn now, Favaro? Okay, good. Well, well, Mike, then explain like resistance. Why did he come in and fix I this? Think, I think he realized resistance was a lost cause, so that's why it's just you know forgotten. <laughs> they kind of looked at when you come in and fix it. Nah, it's dead. That's, that's <laughs> shit. You got to know when to take it out back <laughs> and take care of it. Oh wow. Just put a bullet in the back of its head. Yep. Tell it to look at the flowers. <laughs> look at the flowers. No sandwiches for you. Oh, my God. Poor resistance. All right. So this episode was, in fact, delivering a lot of feels on every single level because, as you guys were mentioning briefly, the whole Crosshair reunion with his brothers and coming to 
the realization that Crosshair simply wants something different than the rest of the Bad Batch. Yes. And then Tex comment about this is just the way he is. I mean, alluding to the fact that this is, even if he doesn't have an inhibitor chip, hey, his DNA was fucked with. This is how he was made. Yes. This was such a gut punch to this entire aspect because the facts are just simply, you know, simply sad. He's delusional. He's confused. I'm talking about Crosshair. Uh, conflicted i mean he he made up he's made when you really take a look at his character and his characterization i should say specifically he's made up of the same complicated ingredients as anakin pretty much he really is yeah i mean he's not selfish and needy and overly emotional but he has those delusions and those aspects of conflict yeah, and that, that's the thing. I mean, I really, out of the whole episode, my favorite moment is still going back to that Tech scene with him, Wrecker, and Crosshair, and Tech literally spilling it out and saying, you know, you can't change Crosshair because it's his nature. I think that's and a then, very telling moment. And then when, when Crosshair says, oh, you're defending me, and then, like, <laughs> Tech just turns to him and says, I can defend you. I'm not, don't take it as basically I'm agreeing with you. I understand you. Yes. Well, it goes back to what we always say in all of our discussions about being objective and politically objective as well. That's something that Filoni has done across the board with every single one of his shows, even shitty resistance. Yes. About having a, an objective lens when you tell your story. You can, you can justify why people are the way they are without saying it's okay. Yes. And that's essentially what they did with Crosshair. Also, that was a little bit, uh, that was a little bit for, for Wrecker. You know, that was like a, hey, <laughs> fuck you, Crosshair. I'm still pissed at you. I don't like what you did. I understand you as a person. So I understand why you did what you did. I don't like it. Yeah. But I'm trying to tell Wrecker over here, who's a big teddy bear, that he doesn't need to feel bad about not being able to reason with you. <laughs> And yeah, that and the the coolest part was just seeing that almost like philosophical debate between all the characters, basically because like everyone had their own opinions. Tech was understanding of Crosshair, and like you understood, Wrecker was upset because hey, his family. He's looking at it as he's looking at it as his family broke up and he's the one that's the freaking reason why his family broke up. <laughs> well, I, I feel like that was definitely a very, I don't want to say a catalyst, but it's definitely a, a statement of a sort that's going to set the tone for the second season. Because when Hunter said, Hey, we just don't want the same things. Like yeah. that was drawing a line in the sand and it was ending that aspect of the show because yeah. moving into season two, I don't think Crosshair's story will be about hunting down his brothers. He's probably going to say they were killed if he ends up sinking back up with the empire. But by the end of the series, whenever that is, his story will be a sad one because there has to be a comeuppance for the murders and the, <laughs> the atrocities that he was involved in. Oh yeah. So yeah. you're going to see him do this in, insane, crazy, emotional arc that's going to just hurt because he's probably going to, at some point, realize he made a mistake and then it's going to be too late. And because writers have to have characters pay the price, it's not going to be a good ending for him. But I, I have I a feeling so. he will be around for the entire run of the season. I wasn't sure halfway through if Crosshair was going to make it all the way to the end. But I, I feel like at this point, he, he has a purpose to play. Yeah, that's what I think, too, is kind of like, I think Crosshair is going to lead in his, the conclusion of his story is very, it's very tied to basically the end of the Bad Batch, I think. I think if, like, Bad Batch gets, like, how many seasons did Rebels get? Uh, five? I think that four? basically. Really? I thought it was four. I think it's four, I think. I think I if they go know. that long. Eight? I think the conclusion of <laughs> Crosshair's story isn't until the very end. Like, we won't see it till, like, four or five seasons if they go just as long as Rebels. I think they're always going to find a way to use him to help explain certain things that are going on. Especially right. in the Empire. Y yes. Why do people choose the Empire? If you 
really sort through what how they used him as a writing device much of the season they're just going to keep using him why get rid of something that works when you can continue to use him to flesh out ideas yeah especially that idea in the very end like that you alluded to with hunter i mean like that scene was very very cool where hunter says we're we we both want different things but we don't have to be enemies exactly and then Basically, he just walked off. Yeah, that that was a nail in the coffin that for was that nail entire storyline. For, 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 the, for the arc at this point. Yeah, and we don't need that. We don't need the whole entire show being Crosshair hunting them down. But it will be interesting. I will say it will be interesting to see what they do moving forward with each of these characters. Another thing that this episode did that I didn't expect was it was a true ending to an era in Star Wars, and I had mentioned this briefly during our last discussion, uh, this finale in many ways was the definitive conclusion to the Clone Wars era. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, especially like with the the final, those final scenes with Omega, it, it really felt like Omega was the stand-in for all the Clone War fans and all the, let's take it even further, all the prequel fans. Because the destruction of Camino essentially just basically ends the major storyline of the prequels. It really does. But <laughs> but that aftermath, like we're not going to forget. I mean, listen, it's it's gone, but not forgotten. Yes, this is the end officially. And it feels that way to me anyways. It feels yeah. like a definitive conclusion to the Clone Wars era. But that aftermath will now be the driving element for the bigger story of Star Wars. Yeah, I think this is actually the the beginning of where you could say the uh, New Hope era starts. We will now see just how the Clone Wars era affects the rest of the Star Wars mythos and the bigger story. We're going to see a lot of gaps being filled in and we're going to realize how much the Clone Wars era really does fill in these areas of the story naturally. And that's the beautiful thing. When you go all the way back to Lucas's days yeah. in Star Wars, you know he had a plan. And then you and you know the fact that Filoni was privy to all this information. And just to see them just seamlessly connecting things and filling in the blanks in a way that works. Because... There is that fear that at some point it's going to feel contrived. Like, well, that was contrived. And so far, I feel like everything they've done in between Revenge of the Sith and New Hope, it actually has worked. And that goes for Solo, Rogue One, uh, of course, Rebels. It just everything just works seamlessly with each other. And I'm hoping they continue that because it would be so sad for them finally to Oh, yeah. the ball in a way that you just kind of scratch your head because there is no head scratching when you're watching any of these post revenge of the sith stories dave you and i keep thinking we're going to get those i mean how many times before solo came out and rogue <laughs> one were we paranoid yes we were very paranoid and like there's still even though that there's still mysteries out there of camino there's still mysteries of that story that oh yeah unfolded and i we will get to them but i'm beginning to realize Especially if you've been following what I, at this point, will classify as the best of Star Wars, which is the Filoni era, which is. What about the Kathleen Kennedy era? Let's not talk is, about is that. Is that a pretty good era, too? <laughs> let's not talk about that. I think that's but a pretty good era. All of the all of the stuff that Dave Filoni has brought in, I now come have to realize. Did you say brought in? Uh, brought in. Oh, I was like. Brought in. I got confused. But, all the stuff that he's done is kind of like we have to be patient because think about it. It's been like over a decade yeah, and he's yeah. it's well taken over. him well. it's taken him this long to get to the end of Clone Wars to tie it to Revenge of the Sith. Now, is that good writing or is that a, a man that knows how to milk it? <laughs> I think that's a man that knows how to milk it because, you know, what? he probably was like going, all right, I know what George Lucas, especially like what you alluded to. He was privy to a lot of story ideas of George's. He really was, yeah. So he's probably telling himself, there's a lot there. I'm going to need time to do this. And that's probably why he's been playing the long game for so long with all his fans. Basically, 
at this point, everyone's basically saying, where's Ezra? I don't think we'll see that for another five years. No. I would not be surprised. And listen, as long as we get there, that's all. Yeah, that as long we will get there. There's no need to rush. Yeah, we don't need to rush it. Okay, so I had said that the Clone Wars era is gone, but we will feel the aftermath, right? Well, absolutely. We're already getting into that aspect when you look at the ending of the episode. <laughs> the episode concludes with Nala say being brought to an Imperial facility, and it's here. That we see a new character wearing a familiar uniform. Mm-hmm. The uniform is identical to the one worn by the scientist in the Mandalorian that was experimenting with Grogu and M Count, which we all know M Count is Metachlorians. Now, we already knew, Dave, you and I had discussed this, I believe, during our Mandalorian breakdowns. We already knew there was going to be some connection because there was an emblem. In the Mandalorian, that the scientists wore, that was similar to an emblem that the Kaminoans wore. Yeah. And we were like, well, there's the connection. And they never brought it back, but it was in the very first episode. (laughs) And now here we are with this connection yet again. Now, of course, and this is where I back up the fans, the crazy fans out there that have all their theories. Typically, I usually poo-poo on their ideas, but this one makes perfect sense. This has led many to speculate that this will end up being closely connected to Palpatine's cloning capabilities and how it came to work in conjunction with the dark side, because we still don't quite know why they were extracting midichlorians from Grogu. 100% agree. (laughs) Now, this is dangerous territory. It's exciting territory. It's exciting territory. But but it's dangerous because... This is something even Lucas always wanted to stay away from. In fact, his, what was his words? A goobly gawk? Is that his words? He said that he always <laughs> wanted to stay away from getting into the goobly gawk of the force. Of the like force. He didn't want to overly explain things because, of course, when you pull that curtain back too far, it does take away the, the mystery, the mystery and the novelty of things. Now, I will rebuttal Lucas's goobly gawk statement and say, dude, you already did that when you turned the midichlorians <laughs> into yeah. the idea of the midichlorians wasn't a bad idea. It's the fact that Qui-Gon was extracting it like it was a blood transfusion. Yes. That was awful. Exactly. Like the midichlorian count works, especially when you look at how, or if I should say, if you look all the way back to the new hope and how Obi-Wan describes the very first description of the force, the midichlorians works. The concept is fine. It's just the delivery. Delivery in menace. Exactly. Yeah. Any any damage was already done by Lucas. So from here on, hopefully <laughs> no more. Hopefully we're we're in a good place. We can just leave it at that. I'm hoping that it doesn't get too convoluted. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the midichlorians has is like a four letter word. It is. You know. Because mm-hmm. many fans just hate the concept now because of Phantom Menace and they can't look past that anymore. And that's the reason why Favaro and Filoni probably chose to go with M count mm-hmm. instead of, you know, straight up using the midichlorians. But I have to think bringing it back to Bad Batch, second season is going to be delving into that aspect because, I mean, how does... Palpatine clone himself. Yeah, we can say it goes all the way back to, you know, ancient times, but we, we're going to need to know the story eventually since it is a major part of the sequel trilogy. And the way they explained it in the J.J. Abrams hack exposition when <laughs> the dude from Lost suddenly understands Sith language, even though they were looking for someone <laughs> looking to for interpret someone. Sith language, but this guy from Lost. Like, Mike, no, don't go down the no, hole. No, no, don't go, go down, down the hole. hole. I'm going to go down the hole. <laughs> I mean, the entire storyline was C-3PO couldn't, you know, read Sith. And they were going to erase his mind. But they didn't need to do that because they could have asked the guy from Lost because he was translating <laughs> Sith for them at the end of the movie. Wait, wait, don't, oh, go, no, down the, don't, don't go down the hole. <laughs> Anyways, when he says ancient Sith, what is he? Ancient Sith arts. Arts. Medical cloning. I'm like, that's your explanation for him being back to life? Wow. Okay, but that also <laughs> created questions, and I feel like Filoni and Corbett can be the ones to help, once again, 
fix some of the mistakes. Well, that's what that that, others do. That's what Filoni. Uh, unfortunately, Filoni has proven that he can play damage control. So if something doesn't work, I almost think that's his job now. Yeah, like that's his actual yeah. like, <laughs> if job something description. If something doesn't work, Filoni makes it work. I mean, that, that's what was handed <laughs> to him in his contract from Kathleen Kennedy. Here, here's something fucked up. Uh, make it cool. <laughs> it's F- that figure easy. it out. <laughs> Put a cowboy uh, hat on it. You have an imagination, right, Filoni? Okay, please. Uh, can you show us the the power of an imagination, please? And think think about uh. it, Mike. Think about this. Filoni in what he has done with Favreau with Mandalorian and also Filoni, how he's done through Clone Wars Rebels and Bad Batch now, he's brought that mysticism back to the idea of the force. He really has. Yeah. And like, sure, it's all about basically uh, the M count that's in our bloodstream. Okay. But the delivery that Filoni, fi- the way he fixed it now makes it more appealing. I have a feeling that Filoni is not going to let George Lucas's original idea die. or the sequel trilogy die. Because the original idea for the sequel trilogy had everything to do with midichlorians mm-hmm. and these, what, these secret aliens or whatever that actually created the midichlorians. Like he was introducing new elements of the force, like these people that govern the force, these the guardian, mist- the these, guardians of the will, these mystics. It wasn't the guardians of wills, but that was the original first draft version from like what? 1974, 1974. Or something like that. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, he was going to use this entire, like he was taking the story back down the mysticism path. And of course, you know, Disney, shit all over that idea <laughs> but uh, i have a feeling baloney isn't going to let that idea die no and i have a feeling he's gonna slowly just weave all those elements from the sequels that lucas handed to Iger, and then Iger then used it as toilet paper <laughs> but luckily uh Filoni, you know xeroxed those before he used it as toilet paper is xerox, is xerox still a thing do people still do that or is that like very 90s do people still use copy machines? I think, I think the term is 90s, but like I have to scan and copy things for my job, like contracts and stuff. You don't say I got to Xerox them? No. no. That's definitely a 90s office um, jargon. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. I here's, think the term is outdated. Here's a side question that I think uh, I just thought of, Mike. If Loney yeah. were to actually fix everything, like <sighs> he, he fixes the sequels even. Could uh, do you think the fan base would just glorify him as probably the second coming of George Lucas? I don't think people who, unless you're doing shows like us where we have to break everything down, I don't think most people would even realize what he's doing. What he's doing? Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's just sitting there smiling. Well, with I'm his telling head. you, Bob Iger and Bob, uh, what's the new guy that took over? Odin Check, whatever. Chapek. Yeah, Chapek. Chapek. Yeah, Chapek. I don't even think they understand what he's doing. They're like, whatever, whatever you're doing works. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Great. What's Star Wars? Meanwhile, Kathy's Kenny going, you motherfucker. Kathy doesn't even know. Come on, she just slapped her name on, on movies. Let's be honest. <laughs> that is true. Just joking. I used to be such a fan of hers, but uh, what has what? she done lately? I don't know. Exactly. She hasn't done anything. <laughs> All right. Let's move into our final thoughts. Unless there's something else you guys want to talk about when it comes to that ending. If not, then we can just move right into final thoughts. I'm just going to keep mine easy. 97%. Lauren, I know you're going to be the um, the sad one here. <laughs> it's not going to be much lower than yours. Oh, okay. All right. Go ahead. Because um, I'm I'm just rating it like as an episode. I'm going to say 95. Okay. That's actually a fair. That's a fair percentage. Anything else you want to add or is that it? No, I mean, I, I really think we, we, at this point, it's just kind of beating a dead horse. You know, yeah. it's like it, there's, there's so much to look forward to from this series. There's so much thought provoking question answering goodness in this show. There's, there's good characters, characters that I love now. This is one of the strongest entries in star Wars hands down. There's there's so much for people who are true Star Wars fans, but there's still enough good action, fun, tension, comedy, all of that for people who are more casual Star Wars fans. Yeah, it's just it's just a good show. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, Dave, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to go a little higher than you, uh, higher than yours, Mike. I'm going at 98. Oh. Just because, as I said, in retrospect, when looking at afterwards, this is the best written story line that I've ever gotten in the new era of Star Wars that I can think of. That where I look back and I basically say, are there any plot holes? Nope. Are there questions? Sure. There's questions. Agree. I feel like there might be people out there throwing their headphones saying, what the fuck are you talking about, David? But David, I would agree with you because consistently, consistently across the board, across the entire season, yeah, there was a seamless attention, or I should say there was attention to keeping a seamless narrative all the way through. Even Clone Wars has, you know, four chapters that are great. <laughs> and then three chapters, you're just kind of like, oh, okay. Okay. And then four chapters that are fantastic. And if you think about the, the, the one thing that I always I, I came to realize is like if I looked at the stuff that prior to Bad Batch that made me happy about Star Wars, mm-hmm. they're all based on nostalgic fan moments. Right. Mandalorian, Luke. Okay, that 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 even today, even even today is like still one of the most emotional moments I have ever felt. And I still feel when I see it, because just like what you said about the Darth Vader scene, I have the Luke Skywalker scene like saved onto my YouTube because every time I want to actually watch it, because it is one of the most powerful moments in the entire series. And then you go to the, the finale of clone wars. What, what were the things that basically really stood out? Everything that had to deal with something that was prior to the series, meaning the Revenge of the Sith, that was that was the biggest that was the biggest draw to me. So your argument is that it relied heavily it relied, on what came before. Exactly. Hey, listen, that makes sense. And I, here we get an original original narrative. And the only thing I would add to the to but, why I love it so much, yeah, they created a character in Omega that I thought was going to be the throwaway Disney kid character. <laughs> And at the end, it literally does a 180 and you really see Omega as not as a kid, but as a mature character that doesn't look at, at the Bad Batch as a fan service, just like what you said. She's looking at it as like an older sister. She's the older sibling. Yeah. The dynamic definitely changed halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 98%. So that takes a show percentage to about 97%. Yeah, give or take. All right, so this does bring us to the end. I want to thank everyone for listening and hanging in with us throughout the course of the entire first season of The Bad Batch. We will be back for our season two discussions once season two is dropped. Be sure to find us on iTunes. Give us a review and a five-star rating. It does help. We need it in order to justify doing these shows for I don't know. For the foreseeable future, we do need to get those ratings up on iTunes. So search for us from the back to tank. And that's it. Thank you, David. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you. May the force be with us. Oh, yes. <laughs>